0: Good morning. It's good to see you. Are, you. are you excited about today? Excited to be in church? Yeah. If you're excited, say amen. amen. Man, I'm excited to be here. I love Sundays. Uh, you hear me say that all the time. Uh, but man, I especially love Sundays when it's football season. Amen? amen. Whew, I'm excited. Uh, I, I love the Panthers, just in case you don't know. And... Uh, Karen and I are going to have a little date afternoon. Uh, We're going to go see the Panthers play. So uh, we're excited about that. And uh, just to go ahead and take care of some housekeeping, I'm just going to call the game Panthers 31, Texans 10. All right? So we will see what happens. I am for sure a homer. I love my team. And uh, I think we're going to do it. Anyway, I want to get started with uh, today's message. As you guys uh, may already know, we're in a series right now called A Game Plan for Life. And maybe you've never thought about this before, but there are at least two plans for your life. At least two. First, you have a plan for your life. And second, God has a plan for your life. And listen, the most important decision you will ever make in your life is to decide whose plan you're going to live out. So, we're talking about God's plan. And last week, we uh, started at the beginning. I gave a message called The Fundamentals. And I just felt like it was important that we literally go to the book of Genesis. And learn some, some basic and fundamental, yet very important things about God. To ask ourselves and answer the questions, quite honestly, can we believe in God? Can we believe that God created the universe? And can we believe that God has created each of us? And if we can believe that, then we have to also recognize that we have value, that we matter to God. And that means that God has created each one of us, and listen, God has created each one of us with a purpose and a plan. Today's message is just called the playbook. And when I say the playbook, I'm talking about the Bible. I think you can think about the Bible as God's playbook for our lives or God's guidebook or God's Book of instructions for how we ought to live our lives. In fact, some people have called it the owner's manual for our lives. God has given us an owner's manual. He has given us a way to live our lives. And in this book, in the Bible, that we also call God's Word. You'll hear me refer to it sometimes today as the Bible or God's Word, maybe even the playbook. But in this book, we learn about the God who created us, and we discover why. Today's message is going to be a very practical message for how you get into the playbook, how you get into the Bible, and then how to get the Bible into you. I'm going to be looking at a really big chunk of Scripture this morning, and so it's it's not printed in your notes, and uh, I through the video team of Curveball this week. It's, it's not going to be on the screens either, but I want you to listen along to Exodus 42. Now, before we get there, I want to give you a couple of evidences for why we can believe that the Bible is true and why we can accept the authority of the Bible in our lives now, there are a lot more evidences that I could give, but I'm, I'm only gonna give you two, and here they are. I think these are gonna come up on the screen, and you can jot these down in your notes if that serves you, but here they, here they are. Here's evidence number one. Evidence number one for why we know that we can believe the Bible and accept it as God's word for our, our lives, and, and how we know, quite honestly, that we can just build our lives on the truth of Scripture. Evidence number one is the history and geography of the Bible. The history and geography. On Wednesday nights, we are doing a verse-by-verse, chapter-by-chapter study through the book of Exodus. I love Wednesday nights. If you're free on Wednesday nights from 7 to 8, 15, you ought to come. I I teach the Bible study right here. We have about 35 or so people that, that come out for that. It's a great group and a lot of fun and uh, it doesn't matter that we're already in the study, and you think, well, I'll, I'll just get in on the next one. We catch up every week, so you can come be a part of that. But how many of you have heard about the book of Exodus? You've, you've heard of it, okay? Uh, how many of you have heard of Moses? Show of hands. Um, how about Egypt? Have you ever heard of Egypt? Egyptians, you just assume that there are those, right? Um, They're all in the Bible. Israel, that we talk about so often or that we hear about so often in the news, right here in the Bible. The Egyptians, though they are an ancient people, right here in the Bible, also in the news today. Egypt and Israel are places we can find on the map today And those are just a couple of examples. We could go all through the Bible and find groups of people that are real people, that were alive, uh, that we can prove through archaeology and the study of history and and geography. And in fact, a couple of weeks ago, I showed some pictures that I'd taken years ago, I think in 1996, when Karen and I went to Egypt. Uh, And. I showed the Wednesday night group pictures of Ramses II. How many of you are Carolina Tar Heel fans? I am, I am a Carolina Tar Heel fan, I'm not afraid to say it. Where do you think Ramses got his name? From, from Durham, you sound like a heathen blue devil. We're gonna have an exorcism after today's service. And it's going to be you, Jeff Dover. <laughs> Ramses got his name from the famous Ramses in the Bible. Ramses the se- the second is the pharaoh that Moses and the children of Israel had so many problems from. It's the same pharaoh that they're going to be running from today through the desert. And the pictures I showed them were of these great statues of Ramses the second and. Wall carvings that are in walls the size of mountains. The Pharaoh that gathers all of his chariots and his charioteers today, that Pharaoh, you can find him in history, a real person. Listen, listen to me. This Bible is not made up of fictitious characters that were not real. This is not the dream work of like a Walt Disney. Places like Egypt and Israel, those are not Never Never Land type places. They are real places that we find throughout history. And those are just a couple of examples because we could go on and on and on and I could show you how the Bible is deeply rooted in history. Now listen, it's not a history book. It's a faith book that's full of history and geography. An archaeologist, archeologist yeah, easy for me to say. Archaeologists dig up the truth of the Bible Every single day, world history books are being rewritten today because of the things that are being discovered all over the Bible lands world. Here's the second evidence it's the evidence of consistency. And I don't know a better way to say it than that, but it's the evidence of consistency. Let me give you some facts to try to explain what I mean by consistency. The Bible was written by about 40 different authors writing on three different continents over a period of about 1,500 years. And yet all of those authors who are so very different, kings, peasants, slaves, fishermen, tent makers, different guys, different kinds of people, but those different people writing on Three different continents over 1,500 years tell the same story from beginning to end, from Genesis to Revelation. Listen to me. No human being could do that. It's not like all of these guys got together one day and said, okay, let's put the story together. All right, Moses, you come over here and sit with Paul, and you guys make sure that you've got the law right. These guys are hundreds and hundreds of years apart. But again, the Bible tells the same story from beginning to end. Let let me just give you one more evidence. I'll give this to you quick. This is internal evidence and external evidence. Internal evidence first. Ever heard of the Apostle Paul? Just raise your hand. You know who Paul, okay, you've at least heard of him. Paul was not always named Paul. His name was formerly or formerly Saul. Now Saul did not like Christians very much. Uh, some of you here today, maybe you don't like Christians very much either. Well, Saul had more than a dislike for Christians. He hated them. He was a part of Judaism, a part of the main religion of that day, at least in in Israel, in, in Jerusalem. And he was also connected politically. And he had made it his life's purpose to destroy Christianity. One day, we... Read this story in the book of Acts. One day, he was on the road going to a place called Damascus, by the way, that is still in the news today. Damascus, Syria, all those places. You've heard of the Syrian refugees? Let me tell you something. The Syrian Christians who are running away today can trace their Christian heritage all the way back to the book of Acts. Acts. Just as a side note, Paul is on his way to Damascus and he has letters in his hand that give him the authority to identify, round up, arrest, imprison, even destroy anyone who is a follower of the way, which is what people who were followers of Jesus were originally called, later they were called Christians. But on the Damascus road, Saul encountered the resurrected Lord who changed his life. And he went from being Saul, the persecutor of the gospel, to Saul, or to Paul, the preacher of the gospel, perhaps the greatest evangelist in the history of the church. He went from killing Christians to leading people to become Christians, to become followers of Jesus. Life change. And we could walk around this room, and if I had a microphone and just gave you the opportunity, there are people from one end of this room to the other who could say, let me tell you about when Jesus Christ changed my life. Changed lives, that's, that's a powerful evidence of the truth of scripture. So here's what I want to do now. I want to just read Exodus 14. It's a big chunk of verses. And in some ways, I'm going to unpack it as I go. But after I read this chapter, I'm going to give you these practical things that you can start doing right now, today, to get into the Bible, to get into God's Word, and get it into your lives. You know why this is important? For, for years as a pastor, I have heard, and, and I've heard it uh, said not just about me as a pastor, but other pastors, um, you're supposed to feed me. And, and in fact, I hear people say regularly, sometimes they'll say it about me and Rocky River Church, sometimes they'll say it about the church they're coming from or a church that they're going to right now, they'll say, I'm just not getting fed. Listen, it's not my job to feed you. That's your job. My job is to teach you how to feed yourself. So today I'm going to do my best to teach you how to feed yourself, okay? Are you with me? Nobody going to sleep yet? All right, here we go. The, uh, I said Ephesians. Exodus chapter 14. Uh, just a, a snapshot of where we are. The Egyptians have released the children of Israel after 10 plagues, uh, including the final plague, the death of the firstborn uh, male in every home, humans and animals. It's been a tremendous, I can't, I can't even describe to you the trauma this has created in Egypt. And finally, the Pharaoh has sent the children of Israel away. So they're going. Then the Lord gave these instructions to Moses, their leader, order the Israelites to turn back and camp at pi Hiharoth between Migdal and the sea, camp there along the shore across from bel Zephon. Then Pharaoh will think, the Israelites are confused. They are trapped in the wilderness. And and listen, just keep this on the back burner. They are trapped. I'll describe the trap in a few minutes, but they are trapped. God says, and once again, I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will chase after you. I have planned this. God says, I've planned this. See, God has a plan. God has a plan for everything he's created. He has a plan for the whole world and he has a plan for your life. The reason the children of Israel have been set free is because God has a plan for their life. That Moses is their leader. If you go back and read the first two or three chapters of Exodus, there is no other way to say it but that God has a plan for his life, just like he has a plan for your life In my life, God says, I have planned this in order to display my glory through Pharaoh and his whole army. After this, the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. So the Israelites camped, as they were told. When word reached the king of Egypt, who is the Pharaoh, that the Israelites had fled, Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds. What have we done letting all those Israelite slaves get away, they asked. And here's what I think has just happened. The sobering reality of the fact that in Egypt they no longer have a labor force becomes a real crisis for them. And so now the Egyptians are looking at each other thinking, all right, the Hebrews aren't here to make those bricks anymore. So who's going to make the bricks? You, 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 you see? They they realize that their economy has been based on this slave labor. What, what in the world have we done? Verse six. So Pharaoh harnessed his chariot and caught up his troops. He took with him 600 of Egypt's best chariots, along with the rest of the chariots of Egypt, each with its own commander. And when you think about these chariots, think of... Ancient tank warfare. These these chariots are what made the Egyptians such a powerful military force. The Lord hardened the heart of the Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, so he chased after the people of Israel who had left with fists raised in defiance. If you want to know where I'm going to be today, about 1.30, because I preach on Sundays and... Uh, I can't get to the games at one o'clock on time, and that's fine, that's fine. I'll just, but I'm gonna be at the Panthers games, and my, I won't look a whole lot like your pastor at 1.30. I promise I won't be cursing, I won't be ugly to people, but my fist in defiance. You would think I'm on the field. It's gonna be gladiator kind of stuff today at 1.30. Their fists are raised in defiance. The Egyptians chased after them with the forces All the forces in Pharaoh's army, all his horses and chariots, his charioteers and his troops, the Egyptians caught up with the people of Israel as they were encamped beside the shore of Pi-Hi-Horoth across from baal Zephon. As Pharaoh approached, the people of Israel looked up and panicked when they saw the Egyptians overtaking them. That is a huge understatement. Yes, they are panicked. Remember, these people have been slaves for 400 years. They're not soldiers. Yeah, their fists are raised in defiance. But they are no more suited physically. Israelites on Egyptians to go out and face this army. No more than I could suit up and go out on that field today and face off with J.J. J. Watts. I mean... This is, this is setting up for a slaughter here. They cried out to the Lord, and they said to Moses, why did you bring us, I think this is very interesting, why did you bring us out here to die in the wilderness where there are not enough graves for us in Egypt? What? Didn't we tell you that this would happen while uh, we were still in Egypt? We said, leave us alone. Let us be slaves to the Egyptians. It would be better to live as slaves in Egypt than to die here in the wilderness. But Moses told the people, and this is like, um, this is like a pregame speech, Cheech. This is the coach giving them a nobody, and I mean nobody, comes into our house and pushes us around, speech. Moses said to the people, don't be afraid. Just stand still and watch the Lord rescue you today. And those are powerful words. He says, the Egyptians that you see today, you will never see again. Which is not completely true. Because they do see these Egyptians later except later when they see them it's their dead bodies washing up on the shore. He said the Lord himself will fight for you. Just stay calm. Then the Lord said to Moses, "Why are you crying out to me?" And we don't know what he's crying out. He's praying. He's he's stressed out himself. Tell the people to get moving. And there's an exclamation point there. Tell the people to get moving. Pick up your staff and raise your hand over the sea. Divide the water so that the Israelites can walk through the middle of the sea on dry ground. And I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians and they will charge in after the Israelites. My glory will be displayed through Pharaoh and his troops, his chariots and his charioteers. I love that God is saying the glory of the Pharaoh is those are those chariots. That's what he's so proud of. That's his glory. I'm going to turn his glory on him. I'm going to make his glory my glory. I'm going to flip the tables on him. When my glory is displayed through them, all of Egypt will see my glory and know that I'm the Lord. Then the angel of God who had been leading the people of Israel moved to the rear of the camp. The pillar of cloud also moved From the front and stood behind them. The cloud settled between the Egyptian and Israelite camps. As darkness fell, the cloud turned to fire, lighting up the night. But the Egyptians and Israelites did not approach each other all that night. Then Moses raised his hand over the sea, and the Lord opened a path through the water. Try to picture this in your mind. With a strong east wind. The wind blew all that night, turning the seabed into dry land. So the people of Israel walked through the middle of the sea on dry ground. The walls of water were on each side. My goodness. Then the Egyptians, all of Pharaoh's horses, chariots, and charioteers, chased them into the middle of the sea. But just before dawn, the Lord looked down on the Egyptian army from the pillar of fire and cloud, and he threw their forces into total confusion. See, God is fighting for them. He twisted their chariot wheels, making their chariots difficult to drive, and they said, let's get out of here, away from these Israelites, the Egyptians shouted. The Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. When all the Israelites had reached the other side, the Lord said to Moses, Raise your hand over the sea again. Then the waters will rush back and cover the Egyptians and their chariots and all of their charioteers. So as the sun began to rise, Moses raised his hand over the sea and the water rushed back into its usual place. The Egyptians tried to escape, but the Lord swept them into the sea. Then the waters returned and covered all of the chariots and charioteers, the entire army of Pharaoh. Pharaoh. All of the Egyptians who had chased the Israelites into the sea, not a single one survived. But the people of Israel who had walked through the middle of the sea on dry ground as the water stood up like a wall on both sides. Now, that is how the Lord rescued Israel from the hands of the Egyptians that day. And the Israelites saw the bodies of Egyptians washed up on the seashore. Verse 31 When the people of Israel saw the mighty power that the Lord had unleashed against the Egyptians, they were filled in awe before him. They put their faith in the Lord and in his servant Moses for a little while. So how do I get in the Bible? Like this. Four things. Jot these down. Number one, you've got to hear God's word. You've got to hear God's word. There are a number of ways you can hear the word today. MP3s, CDs, lots of different ways, but listen to me. The primary way that you hear God's word is to be in church somewhere on the weekends. Okay, listen, I read some statistics this past week, not to bore you to death with this, but remember this is an average. The average person who is a regular attender of a church attends 1.7 times a month. So something less than half When, when I was growing up, and I hate to be that guy, but when I was growing up, you missed church if you were sick or on vacation. Otherwise, you prioritized your life around being in God's house on the weekend. Let me tell you something. We are a culture gone wild. We are a world gone wild. We are frustrated people outside of church, but people on the inside of church can be just as frustrated because they think of themselves as I'm I'm a, a regular attender, I'm a member, but you're only going to church about 20 times a year. Your life ought to be prioritized around when Sunday morning gets here, me and my family are gonna be in church. If we're not sick or we're not on vacation, if there's not extenuating circumstances, we're gonna be in the Lord's house. Watching church on TV ain't the same thing. It's not. I love Joel Osteen, but Joel Osteen is delivering a word for his congregation in Houston, Texas. I love John Hakey, I love a lot of preachers. But staying home to watch that preacher on Sunday morning ain't the same as you being in church on Sunday. To hear a preacher explain the scriptures and apply them to your everyday life. And that's what's going on when this passage of scripture opens up in Exodus 14. God has given a word to Moses and now Moses is giving that word to the people. He is explaining the scriptures to them. He is saying this is the instructions or these are the instructions that God has given us. This is what we do next. You need to be in church on the weekends because you need to hear God's word. Here's the second thing you have to do. If you're gonna get into the word and the word is gonna get into you, if you're gonna get into this playbook, if you're gonna understand the play calling, you have to read God's word. You have to read it. And and I I, I realize that there are guys in particular all over the room going, he just lost me it's not true for every guy but a lot of guys in particular are like i just can't i just can't read the bible i i can't understand it that's no excuse for not reading it i mean you didn't let the difficulty of play calling in football keep you from playing football you learned football just because you don't know exactly how every player might work in today's game, it's not going to keep you from watching the game, is it? I mean, some, some of us, as, uh, as guys who say, I, I, can't, I can't understand something like the Bible, are, are the same guys that understand how the NASCAR point system works. I'm not, I'm not sure NASCAR understands that but you do. I'm chiding you a little bit, but let me tell you something. You've got to read the Bible. Well, why should I read the Bible? Let me tell you why I should read the Bible. Because there's stuff in the Bible you just have no ideas in there. The Bible is is full of stories about war and battles. Yes, it's about peace. There's things about love in there. There's a story of sex and violence. Some of the guys just perked up right there when I said, sex and violence, it's all in there. Brothers killing brothers, and that's just in Genesis. The Bible is just full of stories. It's the number one best-selling book of all time. And Let me tell you this, the Bible is the, it's one of the cornerstones of world culture. Ever heard of Michelangelo? All of his famous paintings are biblical paintings. Ever heard of William Shakespeare? All of his major plays, the ones that you had to read in high school or in college, are based on stories right out of Scripture. John Steinbeck, J.R. Tolkien. The greatest authors in the world tell stories that are based on the stories found in this book. like to go to movies? How many Star Wars fans do we have in here? The most epic movies ever come out of Hollywood all have biblical themes, including Lord of the Rings, Chronicles of Narnia, Star Wars. I mean, who do you think the force is? Where, where do you think the idea of the dark side comes from? Star Wars is the struggle between the force and the dark side. That is the story of the Bible from Genesis 3 to Revelation 20. Good versus evil. And you've got to read it. And I know that it can be intimidating. So let me, let me tell you what you need to do. Two quick things. One, Get you a copy of the Bible that you can read and understand. I'm asked all the time, Jimmy, what are you reading from on Sundays? What are you, what are you teaching from? What do what we do? I'm reading right now from the New Living Translation. It's my favorite. But I use the New Living Translation, the New International Version, and the English Standard Version every day and every week for my own Bible reading and my own study and sermon preparation. If you can't remember what those are, just send me an email and I'll make sure that you get them back. The second thing you do there is you read the Bible in chunks. The Bible is told in stories. It's one big story, but it's made up of smaller stories. So a mistake that a lot of people make is they read the Bible like it's a calendar. You know, a lot of calendars have the scripture verse for today. That's not enough. That's a fine way to memorize the Bible. But to read the Bible, you need to read it in chunks. I'm going to give you some homework. Next week's message is on prayer. The message is called A Hail Mary. We're going to learn how to pray. Every day this week, I want to ask you to read Luke chapter 11, verses 1 through 13. That's where Jesus is teaching us how to pray. That'll give you a chunk of scripture to start reading this week. All right, here's the third thing you do. Moving a little quicker. You hear God's word, you read God's word, and then you study God's word. You've got to study it. You can't just be a reader. You've got to study it. And the best way to do that is just get you a notebook and keep it with you in your Bible when you're reading it, in the morning or the afternoon, the evening, whenever you're reading Luke eleven one through 13, just keep that notebook and write down the things that speak to you. Write down the things that jump out at you. Write, write down the things that you think... Um, that maybe you have questions about or things that might help you in the situation that you're in right now in life or something that you just wanna remember that might be coming later. Let me give you an example from this passage. The children of Israel running out of Egypt, running into the desert, smack into a cul-de-sac in the desert. They're trapped, they're trapped. They have the, the Red Sea before them. To the left they have wide open desert that's just practically impassable and then to the other side you have the mountains and then behind them you have the egyptian army and all of the chariots and pharaoh is out front and his glory is going to be mowing down these people he's going to kill a lot of them and he's going to take the rest of them back to be his slaves again they are trapped but what does the historian tell us right here God made a path for them through an impossible place. And the children of Israel walked through the Dead Sea on dry ground with walls of water on both sides of them. Once they were safely across, then the Egyptians came through and God closed up the waters and destroyed the enemy. You ever been in the cul-de-sac of a tough place in your life? If you haven't before, you will one day. And you should write down some verses like that so you can go back to those and remember those when you are in an impossible situation, like with your job, or like with your family, like with the marriage, like your future finances. You don't know what in the world you're gonna do. You can't see any way out. You just remember the children of Israel because that's the way they felt that day in that cul-de-sac in the desert. But their God our God cut a a path through an impossible place and saved them. And then finally, we'll close. You have to hear God's word, read God's word, study God's word, but then finally, you obey God's word. You, You obey it. the bible is not just a knowing book it's a doing book the difference is between being a quarterback on the field and being an armchair quarterback and i'm just going to tell you cuz i'm a christian most of us christians live like armchair quarterbacks in the world we got all the plays and And quite honestly, if some of you football fans are like me, I feel like Rivera ought to have like a a direct line to me so that when he gets in a in a situation he 's not sure what to do. man, just call me because I can tell you what to do don 't run a draw play on third down and eight on our own twenty yard line don't don't do stuff like that May, But see, armchair quarterbacks, they know all the plays, they know all the players, they got it all up here. The problem with most armchair quarterbacks is that they never suit up, they never go out on the field, and they never really put what they've learned into practice. Churches are full of armchair quarterbacks. We know a lot up here, but out there in the world, well, it really matters nothing. Obey God's word. Do what he's telling you to do. And the truth is that most of us in this room who are Christians, we already know more than we're doing. So you start today doing what you already know to do. Let's pray together. Would you stand with me? Just with, uh, with every head bowed, every eye closed, I want to pray for us. And, and as I pray, I want us to make a commitment together that we're going to get into the Bible. We're going to get into God's Word. And and I'm saying this not only for those of us in the room who are followers of Jesus. I I mean it for every person. I mean, if you're here today and you've never trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior, what better way to get to know him, to examine the claims of Scripture, than to get in it and start reading it? So I want us to make that decision right now. We're going to make a commitment to read the Bible and start this week with Luke 11, verses 1 through 13. And just let God speak into our lives. God, I pray right now that you would help us to make this commitment with great expectancy. that we, we would determine right now, okay, I'm gonna read the Bible and I, I'm gonna do it expecting God to do what my pastor says he'll do and that's to speak to me. And God, I pray that you would help us to do this not, not begrudgingly but again with great expectation. And I pray, Lord, that this week you would use this passage of Scripture to help us in our lives, to help us to know you, to help us to examine our own lives, and to teach us how to to live for you, and specifically how to pray to you, how to talk to you, because we realize today that you speak to us through your word, the Bible, the playbook. And this week, coming up, we will learn how we get to speak to you. And God, I pray that it will make a difference in our lives, in our practical everyday lives. When we go to work tomorrow, when we go to teach tomorrow, when we go to play this afternoon, when we go to ball games, when we hang out with friends, whatever we're doing, I pray that it would make a difference in our lives. Father God, we thank you for your son, Jesus. We thank you for the promises of Jesus through the scripture. We thank you for salvation and eternal life that comes only by him. It's in his great name that we pray. Amen. We're uh, going to sing a song uh, together, and then we're going to be dismissed. These guys are going to dismiss us from the stage. It's an old song. Uh, But it's an awesome song. Uh, Yesterday, we had a celebration of life service for Diane Packer. She's um, the mother of um, Leanne Pridgen, uh, who's on our lead team here at the church. And uh, she was a follower of Jesus. And so the celebration of her life was also a celebration of her eternal life. And uh, the scripture passage, or one of them that I read yesterday, was from Thessalonians, where Paul says to the people living in Thessalonica, I don't want you to be ignorant of what happens on the day when the Lord returns. See, the people in uh, they were worried about their parents who had died in Christ. They were Christians, and now they're not sure what's going to happen to them on resurrection day. And the way Paul describes it, is um, they'll be flying away when Jesus returns. It's a great song of hope and promise for those who trust Christ as Lord and Savior. And so let's sing it, and uh, then we'll be dismissed. I love you guys. I hope you have a great week. Um, As long as you're not a Houston Texan fan, I hope your team wins. Have a great, great day, great week. God bless you.